Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, offering tips and expert insights into the strategic capabilities, behaviors, and results needed to grow and sustain employee performance. Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, and thanks for listening to this episode. Hey, this is Bill Bannum. Co-host Chris Bjorling and I just returned from the Sherm 22 conference and expo in beautiful New Orleans. At the conference, Chris and I met loads of awesome HR pros, leaders and vendors, many of whom will be featuring on the People of Performance show and the HR Chat podcast over the coming months. A few days before the big annual Sherm event, I got the chance to talk with Sherm's Chief Knowledge Officer, Dr. Alex Alonso. As a subject matter expert in organisational psychology, Alex speaks from both a personal and professional perspective on team diversity being a source of strength. Sherm's research has reported that stifling certain types of speech leads to knowledge silos and anxieties. The key, says Alex, is to equip leaders with the tools and the information needed to engage in these conversations and build effective workplaces. And we discussed that in this episode. Listen to, as we talked about Alex's recent session at Sherm called Talking Taboo, Making the Most of Polarizing Discussions at Work. Chris and I will return as a duo on this show very, very soon. In the meantime, I hope that you enjoy this conversation that I had with Alex. Alex, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show today. Thank you so much, Bill, and I'm grateful to be here with you today. Alex, beyond my wee introduction there, why don't you start by taking a minute or two and introducing yourself to our audience and telling them about your role at Sherm. I'm a very fortunate individual in large part because I get to do things that are really around curiosity uh, and especially how it is that the HR profession has shifted over the years. Uh, I've had in my time at Sherm, I've had six different roles. And uh, as in my current role for the last six years, what I've been really focused on is trying to understand how the dynamics of the organization have impacted the HR profession, but more so how it is that then the HR profession has responded to that. And I'll share with you, I've never seen a profession that has responded as brilliantly as the HR profession to a variety of the challenges that uh, have faced them over the last three years. Uh, I'll, I'll share with you that in my experience, no other profession has worked that way. And I've worked in a variety of professions all the way through from being an insurance agent, all the way through to being a, uh, an insurance adjuster, all the way through to being, at, and at one point I'll share this story offline, but uh, being a, a bail bondsman. So uh, I, I, one of the things that I've seen over the course of my career as an organizational psychologist is the impact that COVID in particular and 2020 had on how the HR profession has changed its, its very remit. And one of the things that, that I've seen over the course of that time is we used to hear all the time about change management and how it is the change management is a critical component of the eight or nine competencies that an HR professional needs to bring to the workplace every day. And what strikes me today is we're seeing that completely thrown out the window and really taking an, an emphasis on how empathy is something that you bring to the workplace every day, what you do to make better people managers, and what it is that you do to really take into account 
the analytics that surround you and how you make workplace and work task planning really the key to what what makes a truly successful organization. All of this to say is HR professionals are no longer the concept that we used to think of, but now they're the engagement engineer, or as I like to think of it, the employee experience engineer. So things are really shifting and it's a beautiful time for the HR profession. Alex, you've got a very interesting and varied career. Okay, so right now your, your role involves uh, leading operations for Sherm's certified professional and senior certified professional certifications, of course. I'd, I'd love to hear from you now. How, how has the syllabus at Sherm changed as a result of the pandemic, the great resignation, and of course the, the changed expectations of employees? So for example, I, I'd like to think we've all got a bit more empathy and understanding for each other now. Hybrid working, remote working has, has exploded in ways that we just couldn't have imagined two or three years ago. And of course, rightfully so, there's much greater focus now on DEI efforts. To your point, uh, Bill, one of the things that strikes me is we're seeing over the course of my tenure, at least in, in leading uh, certification operations, we're seeing that that syllabus, that uh, body of applied skills and knowledge has shifted significantly over the last five years. If I was to tell you what it looked like the last five years, it was really focused on leadership, business uh, relationships and business acumen, and then focused primarily on the core technical skills that an HR professional needs to bring uh, to, to bear on their workplace. Today, we're seeing four forces really shift that. And the, the four forces are what we call the, the, the big forces shaping the world of work. Uh, some of them include the, the concept of empathy and how you build a culture that is truly empathetic and one that is empathic for uh, the, the workers. And, and really what I like to think of is actually how that you're, you're crafting that employee experience. Another uh, kind of guiding work, uh, workplace trend is really you referenced the great resignation. I think I hear other people saying it's the great reshuffle because it's actually uh, a reshuffle of the makeup of the workforce. But what I'm seeing is actually the great reset. And we call it the great reset in large part because it's how employers are rethinking their relationship with employees, right? If you were to look 50, 60 years ago, the employer had the majority of the, of the power in the relationship between the employer and the employee. Today, it's the employee who has that, that power. And so it is a great reset when we think of that. In addition, what we're also seeing is that there are forces that are really shaping the way that the talent makeup looks at. And so uh, we look at talent in, in general, right? And one of the things that strikes me is we see, for instance, that our curriculum has shifted to really adapt to the nature of the workforce that is impacted by two broad uh, uh, kind of uh, incidents. The first is COVID. And then the second one is that since 2011, we've seen the workforce across the globe in Western or uh, larger uh, developed economies, we've seen them actually shift the makeup of their workforce. There are roughly 11,000 people retiring a day in the US alone. That is a sign that the baby boomer generation is exiting. And what we're seeing is a, a either re-entry of other uh, entrants in the workforce, or we're seeing a shift in terms of the dynamic when it relates to younger workers and newer workers. Uh, the other thing that we're sort of seeing and is, is actually playing an important role is this concept of work planning. For years, we've heard about workforce planning, but now we're talking about work tasks and work planning, which is how do I build an analytics function that helps me design 
what the work is and how I will match that to the skills needed and whether or not I source those skills through vendors, whether or not I source that through temp uh, agencies, whether or not I source that through uh, gig workers is, is a separate matter. And, and, and that's what we're looking at. All those forces then are really overtaken and, and almost kind of really ex expanded upon when you think about the notion of ESG or the, the big functions that relate to DE&I and, and environmental sustainability and, and doing good in the world. All those things are now playing a much bigger role than they used to almost five, six years ago. Five, six years ago, it was purely corporate social responsibility. Today, it's actually part of the employee experience and how we make a better workplace for all. So those forces are really reshaping the curriculum that we've put forth for HR professionals. And as you look at a SHRM certified uh, professional or a SHRM senior certified professional today, they have a broader remit than we could ever have imagined. And it was incumbent upon us to kind of build a true picture of what that, that skill set is that's required. And the beauty of it is we're now seeing CEOs and CXOs and a variety of other uh, CHROs look at how it is that they are making that workforce in HR more relevant and more powerful for the, the broader workforce. Alex, you just gave me so much there. My goodness me, that was that was such an amazing, dense answer. Jeez, there, there, there's a million different ways that I can now go in this conversation. I mean, regular listeners of this show will know that, for example, I'm, I'm quite fixated on at the moment on the uh, on the resignation of, of the boomers, you know, leaving the workforce. Uh, uh, 2022 yeah. is kind of around the peak of, of boomers leaving the generation, but we don't have time to talk about that. But what I do want to pick up maybe yeah. on, on from your last answer is is the the, the gig workers. Um, you spoke a little bit there about the rise of the gig economy. How how is that complicating the role of your average HR leader right now in, in terms of managing their their internal employees, but also of course now managing more and more autonomous folk outside of their their core organization who, who perhaps, for example, don't really get the the company culture. So uh, you you alluded to this, Bill, and it's a great reference. Is it, it complicates it and at the same time makes it easier. It, it's sort of a, a dichotomy there. And, and what it does is it makes the, the way we can source talent much easier, the way we can compensate talent much easier. Unfortunately, what it also does is creates fractures in, in a culture, right? And so many HR professionals are left with, how do I build basic principles around my culture, but how do I uh, make those a reality given the different types of workforce that we see. At Microsoft, for example, we, we know that they do what they call the complete workforce. And it doesn't matter whether one is a gig worker, whether one is a, a, uh, a, a uh, your traditional FTE, what you end up finding is that they are taking these, these uh, professionals and they're saying, we're gonna provide you with a base layer of benefits that applies to everyone and that is the the core of our culture we're going to do something to help grow you grow you in your career grow your your employability that's the base layer and uh, the guiding principle that exists not everyone has the ability to do that though and what ends up happening is it creates competition in terms of what kind of talent you can source especially if you're in that small to medium-sized enterprise kind of sector what i do see though is it also provides greater flexibility in terms of the skills that one can bring to the workforce in a given organization. So let's say that you have a, a series of kind of initiatives or projects that you may never have thought of, and you were thinking that professional services may be too 
expensive for this. What it what this has done is actually provided a set of different individuals and a different set of skills that you may be able to bring in with greater flexibility and move on with greater flexibility. That's that's sort of what is existing in the world of talent sourcing for HR professionals. So it's a little bit of increased difficulty and complication with a little bit of greater flexibility. What's intriguing though is we're also seeing gig workers respond to culture in a more positive way, maybe even considering whether or not they want to be a permanent fixture in, in that culture. And I, and I say that in large part because of two things that happened as a result of the pandemic. One, the first thing that happened with the pandemic was that gig workers learned the value of benefits and really the value of employer-provided benefits as opposed to waiting on a governmental kind of stimulus to offset what unemployment benefits might look like and what might exist in terms of, of remedies for their, them as gig workers. The other thing that they, what we saw is another phenomenon, which is that gig workers as a whole started to see the value of being part of a community that wasn't a disjointed community always looking for other work. So they, they started to see some of the material values of be, or, or benefit of being part of an organization that was a broader community. So we started to see that. There was a shift in the attitudes held by gig workers. All that to say that it's unclear which way we're going, but I think that there is more allegiance and potential of, to see gig workers ending up in broader cultures. You're going to be sp speaking at uh, multiple sessions, I understand, uh, at the Sherman Conference and Expo happening in beautiful New Orleans, uh, 12th of June through to the 15th of June. Be there will be a rectangle, listeners. Uh, I will certainly be there. It'll be far too warm for me, but I'm going to give it a go. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of your, the sessions that you'll be speaking at? Secretly, I'm known as the game show host or the wannabe game show host at Sherm. Uh, one of the things that I really thrive <laughs> on is providing providing individuals with uh, you know incentives for being at my uh, sessions and learning at my sessions. So uh, I've got a variety of sessions. One that deals with how you make the most of your certification experience and make sure that you pass your exam. I'm really interested in helping people succeed, and and we provide as many tips as possible when it comes to development for the HR profession. In addition, I'll be talking about the value of alternate uh, sources of talent and how employers might build upon the various opportunities that they can uh, for finding a, a non-traditional talent or non-traditionally trained talent by focusing on alternate credentials and how they might look at somebody who holds a certification in project management as opposed to somebody who holds a degree in project management. So there's a variety of things that, that, that we're going to be talking about there to help employers really think about the, the best talent available to them. And then a personal passion project of mine is I'll be talking about some of the things that we see in the workplace and some of the deterrents or really the detractors to really effective talent, right? And I think specifically what I'm talking about is uh, Talking Taboo, my new book that's coming out. And we're going to be talking about how it is that employers can really manage tough discussions in the workplace, things that people shouldn't be talking about. Because what we know is, just from our research, is 42% of Americans admit that they have been part of a polarizing discussion around politics in the workplace. And one of the things that stands out is, for years, I think about what my grandmother always told me, don't ever talk about politics, religion, sex, anything in the workplace that will get people really riled up. The, the whole guidance that we've been given for the last hundred years was, please make sure you avoid these things. And yet we see it over and over and over again, where organizations are struggling with how to manage these issues and how to at, uh, allow employees to voice their perspectives, even if differing. And so 
I think about, for instance, Meta recently put together a ban on talking about Roe v. Wade and abortion in the workplace. And one of the things that I would advise is don't waste your time trying to ban something. If you know that the majority of working Americans are actually doing it, try to find a way to manage it and provide a proper forum for it. And so one of the things we'll be talking about is how you do that and do it well. Okay. Okay. What if it's not in the workplace? Uh, what, if, what, if, what if employees are talking about Roe v. Wade um, in a very loud, passionate way through their social media? Can that have a negative reflection on the employer brand? And if so, is there much that uh, an HR leader can do much about that? So, you know, one of the things that I find very interesting is people are talking about it. And there are a variety of fora where they may be talking about it. You may see people talking about it on Reddit. You may see, hopefully you're seeing them talk about it in, in a variety of ways that are positive, but in reality, they may not be doing that. And one of the things that strikes me is many employers actually focus on what it is that they can do to eliminate these discussions, but don't realize that even if it's taken outside the formal channels, it still creates a, a, a mark on their employer brand. It creates a, a footprint for their employer brand if the employees are doing that and in other venues and other circles. What's interesting is we have over 1600 examples from real life, real life organizations where people have engaged in these types of discussions, whether it was politics, whether it was abortion, whether it was mental health issues, a variety of different things. And one of the things we found is people will do it no matter what happens and they'll find a proper venue for it or one that they believe is a proper venue for it. The key here is, to arm employers and people managers with the tools they need to make sure that they're creating those discussions with a positive outcome or at least with a neutral outcome. Because the one thing that I try to help people think about is CHROs are the new stewards of employee brand, but more importantly, ESG brand. And so employers are being evaluated left and right by how well they, the CHRO plays a, a public role in managing these things. The other thing that I always try to remind people is you want to be a positive brand, but you don't want to be that next group that gets a Netflix documentary series made after you. You don't want to be the Uber. You don't want to be the, the, the WeWorks of the world where the culture is what's being debated and the polarization within that culture is what's driving the value of that culture. That's the key is how do I help you not only manage it well, but how do I prevent you from having a Netflix documentary series made about you? That, that is many people's worst nightmare, I think, yeah, having, a, having a Netflix documentary made about them. Um, uh, some people love it. Um, okay, so uh, you have briefly mentioned your, your, your new book uh, in, in a previous answer there, but you've been kind enough to offer up your time uh, with me today. So I'd, I'd love to delve into that a little bit more and give a bit more focus to it. So um, you have the book, which is called Talking Taboo, uh, sorry, Talking Taboo, Making the Most of Polarizing Discussion at Work. Why don't you take a minute or two and tell our listeners all about it and the hope for learning outcomes? It's an interesting uh, kind of di direction for my career in that I never once expected to be an author. And, and this is now my fifth book. But what's intriguing about it is it was inspired by a difficult conversation involving uh, two of my coworkers. Uh, I have two wonderful coworkers uh, who work in, my, uh, in a unit that's providing support for HR professionals. And one of the things that, that was intriguing is we were hanging around late one night and uh, they were having a conversation about things that they deemed to be taboo. And what was interesting is they were not agreeing, but were still keeping it very civil. 
they one lady was talking about and her son is in law enforcement and she was talking about how hard it is for employ for police officers to really gauge what is a threat and what isn't a threat and the other lady was talking from the perspective of she's the mother of young uh, men who have who have been accosted by police officers and been who, who may have been accosted by police officers who were too assertive or too aggressive in their law enforcement approach and they were disagreeing over and over again about why it is that they're they, they uh, th this is such an issue but the one thing that was clear was they were listening to one another and were able to internalize what it is that the other person was saying. Even if they didn't agree and they fi didn't finish agreeing, they were able to focus on this. And here I was, I was just a witness to this. Now, keep in mind, this was happening in 2020, so it was a very salient topic when it came to the murder of George Floyd and a variety of other issues going on in terms of uh, Breonna Taylor and, 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 and other cases, uh, Ahmaud Arbery as an example. Now, one of the things that we saw is these two ladies were able to kind of apply what I found to be a, a really interesting framework in their mind, which was their cognition started with, how does it look when I make a statement? What is it that, and it could be polarizing, what is it that it does to the other person? How are they perceiving it? Then, what does it mean when I've, I've gone ahead and kind of done this, expanded my, my perspective, and what does it do to my work outcomes? How am I building better work outcomes because she and I are having this conversation? So applying that kind of framework, we identified really a series of other conversations that lead to these types of outcomes, these types of uh, uh, learning objectives. And, and it, we, we studied events going back from the Vietnam War, all the way through to the the uh, the impeachment cases of 2020 and and 2019, really trying to understand what it was that people were experiencing, and over and over again, we found that there was a recurring theme when things were managed properly. It was that people were able to apply what we call this me, we, and work uh, philosophy. They they look at how this impacts them. Then they expand their perspectives to think about how it impacts the greater we, and then they focus on how it impacts the work that they're doing. All of it really led to this kind of notion of how we can help managers really help others think in this kind of cognition framework. The beauty of it is that we also then collected over 1,600 examples of people who had applied this in their own work and found ways to really make it worthwhile. The beauty of those 1600 examples is then as a tool, we created what we call the ta Talking Taboo series with a partner known as Moth and Flame so that we now have augmented reality and virtual reality tools to help people walk through these examples without having to get into a really difficult spot in their workplace. All this to say that what we're trying to do is teach people to engage in taboo conversation because it has a benefit when done right. And this is the benefit that creates a tighter culture, a culture where people really see value in how the organization allows differing perspectives and manages conflict in a much better way. That's what makes a better inclusive culture. And so that's what we're hoping to do with Talking Taboo. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, we are coming towards the end of this interview already, Alex. Before we do wrap up, two more questions for you. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about the partnership that Sherm has with Moral Courage College and its Diversity Without yeah. Division program. We were very fortunate to, uh, in, in late 2020, to begin a partnership or at least exploring a partnership with Dr. Irshad Manji, who is the founder of Moral Courage College. And she's a 
uh, a professor at uh, uh, Oxford University, and what she's over the course of year is helped develop a, a series of programs that help individuals consider diversity in a different way and, and think about how organizations can build greater diversity by looking at how they source talent, what it is that they consider when exploring, reviewing resumes, what they do when they consider ex, uh, reviewing what it is that a person brings as far as skills. And then the other thing that she does with the Diversity Without Division program is teaches people to just basically engage in active listening from a much uh, clearer perspective. And so Irshad brought together some of these these kind of perspectives and these learning tools. And my immediate uh, response to the whole thing was, well, this is what we're trying to do when it comes to helping people build more inclusive workplaces. Yes, let's explore this further. Thankfully, in 2021, we launched our partnership and what we're hoping to do is bring diversity without division to the masses so that workplaces across the globe can actually engage in better listening and thinking about how it is that their organizations will benefit from that better listening. Excellent. Thank you. And just finally for today, how can our listeners connect with you? Is that through LinkedIn? Is that through email address, Twitter, Instagram, maybe TikTok? And also, of course, how can they learn more about all the cool things happening over at Sherm? Learning about everything that we do at Sherm is easy. All you have to do is go to Sherm and and then look for the tab that is learning or HR today and you'll find everything that we do on our website. Uh, but beyond that, if you're looking to learn more about what it is that we're engaged in and the work that we're doing, I encourage everybody to write me. I have a very simple email, but please write me. It's knowledge at sherm.org. And if that doesn't work, please look for me on LinkedIn. I am always there and available to support any inquiry, any request, and looking forward to helping all HR professionals along their journey. Amazing. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Dr. Alex Alonso, thank you so much for being my guest on this episode. Thank you, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the People in Performance podcast. Follow us on social media and remember to subscribe.